0: Well, if you uh, would take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number ten, Jerry, you got us Baptist clapping, man. That's 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 a win. <laughs> that's no, that's great. In case you're uh, new to us Baptists, that's a thing for us. And uh, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I think it'd probably be best if we get to the Word and find out what God has to say to us this morning. So would you take our Bibles again? Mark 10, verses 1 to 12. Let's stand together as we see what God has for us this morning. Mark 10, starting in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And The Pharisees came up. And in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So here we are on the weekend of the anniversary of our church, 63 years. This church was founded on May 3rd, 1960. It used to be known as Cherry Hills Baptist Church. I believe it was over on University and Orchard before we moved to this piece of property in, uh, in 1965. And we've been here ever since. It's been been a glorious thing for us. And since 1960, um, you know, a lot of things have changed. Um, and I think one of the things that we notice is that our culture has changed quite a bit, some of it for the better. I had a friend of mine who was preaching in western Kentucky, and he, and I've shared this with you before, but he asked, you know, how many of you would just love to go back to the 1950s and, and all that? And of course, a lot of them were like, well, of course. And they said, well, if you feel that way, then you're probably white. Because even back in 1960, most of our country was still segregated. There was a, the, the sexual revolution was gearing up. And we've made some strides since then, but ever since then, now, now we're dealing with a whole new set of issues that as you've been reading through this passage, you may notice that Jesus is dealing with. But one thing that we have, we have noticed overall is really what Francis Schaeffer has talked about is the concept of truth. So our culture, what he says is that our culture now has been divided into really two categories, uh, a lower story and an upper story. The upper story, what he was talking about in the 60s and 70s, he died in 1984, was that the upper story was that of theology and morality, which he says that our culture notes is private, subjective, and relativistic. It's not absolute. So in other words, this is the start of where you can have your truth and you can have your truth. And if your truth works for you, that's great. But I have my truth and I have a different set of values and morality that works for me. And we have been seeing that gear up uh, quite a bit. Now we look at the lower story of being science. The lower story is public and objective, valid for everyone. So morality and theology or your values subjective depending on the person but science that's objective that's valid for everyone and Nancy Piercy she puts it this way the key to understanding all the controversial issues of our day is the concept of the human being has likewise been fragmented into this upper and lower story secular thought today assumes a body person split with the body being defined as the fact realm by empirical evidence and the person is defined in the values realm as the basis for rights. This dualism has created a fractured, fragmented view of the human being in which the body is treated as separate from the authentic self. So here we are, we can be here longing for days gone by where these conversations may not have been happening around us and Well, the fact is, is that they are happening around us. We're here, we're here right now, and we have to move forward. We look to the past to learn from it, not to necessarily long for it or especially not to live in. We can't do that. That's not healthy. But we we learn from it so that when we do move forward, we're not moving forward with this overwhelming sense of dread, Right? Because sometimes we lo- we're like, oh my goodness, we've seen how things have changed over the last 10 years. What's the next 10 years going to be like? I'll tell you what, it's going to change. And it's going to change a lot. And whereas we may have grown up with an understanding of the moral majority, that's not the case for us anymore. We're in the missional minority, as Russ Morris said. This is where we are. We don't have a seat at the table of the culture anymore. Well, I wish we did. Yeah, me too. We don't. Here we are. What we do know is that we have to look and see where we are right now. And when you have people that are out like Richard Dawkins and and Sam Harris of the New Atheists who are coming along, and they're saying that the, the God of the Bible is not only inert, but he's dangerous. And that people who believe in what Christians are talking about, that you're being dangerous. Paul Coppin, he wrote a book called, Is God a Moral Monster? Because now people are starting to see the Bible as immoral, not just irrelevant, but as immoral. Why? Well, look at what I've just read to you. I've just read to you a lot about the nature of not only marriage and divorce, which has been going on for a long time in the church, we've been wrestling with with those things as well, but when the thoughts of talking about male and female, of Leaving your father and mother, the notion of a father and a mother, a male father and a female mother, the notion that um, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart, when the national divorce rate now is 54%. And even in the church where people are still worshiping and, and going fairly regularly, the divorce rate there is 38%. And so we're, we're seeing some things that are going on where Jesus is talking about something. And if I were to, to, to talk about this in another area in the culture, it might be seen as dangerous. I might get shouted down. But his word has not changed. Now, our culture is changing rapidly. But his word has not changed. So what kind of heritage are we going to leave? We're talking about Heritage Sunday. What kind of heritage are we going to leave? Are we going to leave a heritage where we are quiet and silent? And I'm not talking about zealous in the sense of we're going to go and and hurt some people and blow up abortion clinics and things like that. That is that is evil. What I'm saying to you is the heritage that we have to leave for our children and grandchildren is an unashamed desire to go God's way, to go Jesus' way. The very last verse... In and in the book of Judges said, and there was no king in the land. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's where we are now. But for Christians, we never say that. For Christians, we say there is a king in the land. And he's still on his throne. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we're not going to do what's right in our own eyes. No, we, our eyes don't belong to us anymore. We're going to do what's right in God's eyes. And find the freedom that the, other, that the world would say is narrow. We find freedom in going that narrow road that God has called us to go to. So when we're looking at this passage here, we're seeing a number of things that's going on where Jesus is talking specifically about marriage and divorce and the nature of it. But he's bringing in a lot of other things. But he always goes, whenever he's talking about a particular issue, he doesn't just talk about the issue. He talks about the hearts of men, the hearts of women that are dealing and moving in this world. So let's take a, take a look and get to work on a couple of these things as far as looking at being the conscience of our nation. Well, number one, the heart our hardness of heart rejects the authority of Christ and his word. Every so often I have someone who you may have used to come to the church and they hear us preach and they hear the values that we hold to and they decide to go to another church that isn't as strict. You know, you guys are strict. This other church is, and they start talking about all of this thing and I remember having a conversation with someone a long time. I said, well, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like you just don't want anybody telling you what to do. He said, that's right. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do and I I don't want, but he still wanted the spiritual component of it. Well, you can't have both because the Holy Spirit is there to reveal truth. Jesus is there to reveal truth and he's there to reveal truth so that our hearts will be changed toward truth, not move away from it. So here Jesus, if you look in verse 1, he says he left there. They were in Capernaum, and he's starting to meander his way toward Jerusalem. The Passover is coming. We just observed that with, uh, with Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter. He's starting to meander his way toward Jerusalem, not only to observe the Passover, as they all did, but he knew what was coming, and he was telling his people and his disciples what was coming. But that didn't stop him, Right? If we know something strenuous is, is happening, sometimes we may need a vacation or we need, I just need some me time. Can you, can we just hold on? But no, Jesus kept pumping. He kept going right up until the very end. And it says he left there, went to the region beyond of, of Judea. That's where Jerusalem is and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him. And again, and I love this phrase, as was his custom. This is what Jesus did. If you were going to be around Jesus, he was going to teach you something about the kingdom. He was going to teach you something about himself. He's going to teach you something about his ways. He's not going to just be like, what are you doing here? Again? Come on. I, I, need, I need some alone time. Why are you interrupting me? But these interruptions were always divine appointments in the in the economy of God. And maybe God does that for us. And we may be entertaining angels unaware whenever we have these th- folks come our way that may be bothering us or annoying us because we had other plans. Well, don't forget about Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans of a man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. He's got something that he's working in and through you. Well, the Pharisees were not interested in learning anything about Jesus. In fact, what they were trying to do was undermine Jesus' authority so that he would go away. And that's why they would come up and test him. They would ask a question, but they weren't really interested in the question. If you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about our philosophy in the office about when someone calls and they're usually maybe having a question or upset about something. It's usually never the thing. It's a thing beneath the thing. What's going on that's making them have this thing come about? about? And the thing beneath the thing was is that they wanted Jesus to go away. And the more he wouldn't go away, the more he kept hanging around, the more urgent they were to eliminate him. And so the Pharisees, verse 2, it says, came up and in order to test him, said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, boy, that's a conversation now even in, in our day, right? Because again, the divorce rate is so high and people begin to ask all sorts of questions about, well, what, can, what, what's, what's God have for me now? What's he saying about me doing this? And, and the Bible, I, th- I believe is really, really clear on a lot of these matters. We got to be sure that we don't lower his standard, but all, we got to also make sure that we don't go above his standard and go more strict than his standard. But the question is, the thing beneath the thing is, they were trying to trap him because they wanted him to go away. So this is how they were going to do it. If Jesus said, it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife, then the Pharisees, the conservatives would come along and they would say, well, you have gone against the law of Moses, you're out of here. If he says... If he said the other way, then what happened was, if you, remember, if you remember from Mark six fourteen to 29, when Herod Antipas divorced his wife in order to marry his brother's wife. So then it would have sounded like that Jesus would have been okay with that on the one hand, and then the other way, he wouldn't have been okay with it, and then he would have been able to have the political leaders be able to come down on him. So if Jesus said yes, trouble with one group, Jesus said no, trouble with another group, what's Jesus gonna do? How's he gonna get out of this one? Boy, he seems like he's in a real pickle now, doesn't he? But he doesn't play games. We think we're slick when we come to Jesus. He doesn't play our games He's going to see right through it, get to the thing beneath the thing, and then you're going to be on the defensive. He's never, ever on the defensive. Because he always does things right. So then he turns it around. What did the Moses command you? Uh, oh, you know. And so they start scrambling. And so what they said was, well, Moses, in verse 4, allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce, and to send her away. Now this goes from Deuteronomy 24. And I encourage you to look it up on your own. But what they began to do is. It may shock you to know that there are theological discussions in the church. And there are theological discussions in the seminaries. And they're, they're, they're kind of going after each other. Trying to figure out what to do. And so when it talks about it in Deuteronomy 24. It says if there has been an Indecency on the part of the female, on the part of the woman, an indecency. Well, what does an indecency mean? Well, the conservative group was like, indecency, was it was always a sexual indecency. And so if it was a sexual indecency, well, adultery, well, there was not going to be any divorce proceedings. What there was going to be is they were going to take her out in the middle of a place and stone her. And I'm not talking about stone as we talked about being stoned here in Denver. I'm talking about with actual stones, rocks, they would be eliminated just to make sure that our terminology is clear. They would have been dead. So you remember when Joseph found out that Mary was with child with Jesus, but he didn't quite get it until the angel had to come and make him aware of it. He was going to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't lose her life. That got to be the pattern then. They were going to divorce quietly, but still it was a divorce for a sexual impropriety. The Hillel group, the, the liberal group, ended up being any indecency meant if you burnt toast. If the wife burnt toast, you're out of here. If, you, if the wife lost her looks, not like the husbands ever do, right? But if the wives, remember the, the, the women had no social recourse back then. But if the, if the wives began to look their, you know, well, that's an indecency, and that's how they began, it began to be so broad with it that they were having discussions about what was going on. And so they were wanting Jesus then to choose, well, which one is it? Are you going to be conservative or are you going to be liberal? And Jesus comes along and he says, because of the hardness of your heart, which if you remember how they were wandering through the desert, they were constantly complaining to God about things. What are you doing? Why are we eating like this? What's going on? How long is it going to be? Uh, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And he's constantly, they were constantly going over this. And because of the hardness of heart and to give women a provision when they were cast out for this indecency, whatever that ended up meaning. Meaning then there was a contingency that God gave to Moses for um, to help the women and to be able to provide them a certificate of divorce. But that was because of hardness of heart. They had gotten away from the original. And what Jesus always does is brings us back to the original of the truth. We love loopholes. We would like to try to find loopholes, even in our Christian walk, with everything that we do. Well, you're supposed to read your Bible. Well, there's just a lot of things in there I don't understand, and I'm just I'm just going to rely on my favorite preacher or, or or teacher to help me. No, you, you read, your, go to go, Jesus is driving us back to the Word. We need to be driven back to the Word. Let's let's go to the Word, and and work through it to and and try to get it. The penny'll drop. You'll get it. But we've got to continue to move forward with it. We're always looking for loopholes around certain things. But that's really just rejecting his authority. So what does Jesus do? Number two, Jesus brings truth to a lost and broken culture. I could add, Jesus brings truth to wayward churches as well. And wayward Christians. Who may have allowed the culture, because here's the thing. Is that we pastors are at a bit of a disadvantage as far as who is pumping information into their people. So I I see what happens when, like just hypothetically, when a certain pundit on your favorite news channel may have been summarily removed from their very popular 8 o'clock Eastern time frame, hypothetically. Right? Right? Well, fellows like that, whether it's on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or wherever, or, or your, they get you five days a week. Boom, 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 boom. And they are pumping information into you five days a week or whoever it may be. I get you for 30 minutes a week, and uh, I'm, I may not be as handsome as those fellows. I may not be as compelling as those fellows. I do my best. We work on it. But I'm not pumped into your, into your homes. And, and so you're, you're getting all of this information. And so it, for me, it almost feels like we're, we're, we're competing, fighting. You know, are, are, are we listening to this gospel over here or are we listening to this gospel over here? Cause I want, I don't want to break it to you, but I want to break it to you. It's not the same thing. The stuff that you're hearing from these guys on TV, they're motive, they're motivated by a lot of different factors. Jesus is coming along and he's not concerned about your bottom line. He's not concerned about your feelings. He's not concerned about the, whatever values you may hold that you have picked up from mom and dad and granddad or your favorite political party. He doesn't care. He only cares insofar as it's maybe taking you away from what he's saying here. So, truth. Look at what Jesus is talking about here. But from the beginning, I want you, in your in your mind, as you're going through this, because it's going to make you read, I want you to go through this, and I want you to try to pick up on all the things that the culture is talking about that Jesus is addressing here. I'll read it again, starting in verse 6. But from the beginning of creation... There, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I alluded to it a little bit earlier in the sermon, but do you see what all is happening here? So, the notion of a God, the notion of a creator, I wonder if that's why there is so much anxiety and depression and suicide because we have been taught that we're cosmic accidents with no loving God to rescue us, to care for us, to help us through it, to give meaning and purpose to the suffering that we're dealing with. But if we, if there's no God in heaven to help us sort through all of this and to help us to make some sense of this broken world that we ourselves created, by the way, then, then, then where, where's the answers? Where's their answers? Their answers is it could be medicinal, technological, um, personal, sociological. All of this all couldn't be spiritual, right? Well, the culture says it couldn't be spiritual and it definitely can't be biblical. And yet here we are. Here we are. The further we're getting away from the biblical understanding, the more we're getting away from any hope that's leading us out of this anxiety and depression and suicide. So God made us, and he made us male and female. I want to just say right here, what I am getting ready to say is completely said in love because i know and i overhear conversations every so often that whenever we start talking about this you you, it's not nice it's not charitable there's name calling when it comes to things along this line but i want to remind you that just because someone else sins differently than you does not mean that your sins better or more righteous or more pure we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of god and the wages of all sin is death, regardless of even if your sin is more societally acceptable or not. It's about what God thinks. And it's about, it's about the heart of God and where he's bringing us. So the identity of two genders. So now it depends on where you, you are and who you look at and, and where you look up your information. There's now approximately 80 different understood genders. And it really tracks all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, where God is saying, this is what you are to do and not to do. The deceiver comes along and says, well, God's trying to keep something from you. Look how nice this is. And and so, where he says that Eve saw the tree and that it was a delight to the eyes and her desire arose in her, she took and ate. This is what's happening now, is that we are being maneuvered. And we have been for a long, long time. Regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. We have been maneuvered a long time by our own desires. It's all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it's a desire to try to make sense of what's going on in life. But if there is no creator and you're just a cosmic accident, then you, you don't have anywhere to look to to try to get some answers, except where? Yourself. And so what if yourself, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, do you remember those ages? Fun, wasn't it? It was horrible. It was horrible because you're trying to figure things out, and you don't know. And so if you don't have a God in heaven telling you where to go, and the culture is telling you that your parents can't say anything about it either, it's up to you to try to figure it out. And so now we have all of these other folks that are filling in that gap for money, for their own welfare, whatever it may be. And so when I mention in our culture that God has made exclusively male and female. And that he doesn't make mistakes, and that and that we as Christians don't separate body and personhood, right? Because your body could be saying you're one thing, but inside it you as a person could be saying you're another thing. We as Christians, remember there's there's another application to where what God has joined together, let not man tear apart. God has joined body and personhood, right? So even though there may be like take the abortion issue, there may be people who say and and scientists will say that that is life at conception. What they will come along and say as well is, but they're not viable yet. They're not a person yet. We as Christians do not separate the two whereas everybody else may try to separate the two. And when you're talking about the transgender issue, they're they're trying to separate the issue, body, personhood. We say, no, 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 You're, you're, you're one. It's one unit. And so when we're looking at this, therefore a man shall leave his father, a male father, a female mother, this is God's way. Now we know by brokenness that many of you may have come out of broken homes. I'll tell you right up front, I don't know what that's like. My mom and dad next month will be married 67 years. And I praise God for that. My father didn't become a Christian until he was 47. So they were 25 years in when he became a Christian. But but they realized that God's way was, if you're going to, before you start acting like you're married, be married. Let God join you together in that way where the two become one flesh this is why I get nervous. I'm going to see how many people I can offend this morning. But this is why I get nervous every so often when I hear about prenups. This is why I get nervous whenever I hear about separate checking accounts. Are you, is, is there a contingency there where you think that something may go on? You've got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. I don't know. There may be lots of different reasons for it. But those are the questions that I ask whenever there is counseling that's going on. Why are there so many aspects of your life that are separate? God didn't call you to be that way. And that's why God didn't call us to uh, live together before we get married. Be married, then live together. Because God is bringing you together. He's talking about when the bodies come together like that, in, in that way, that you're already, you're one. So... Go after things God's way. Let me back up here. Had intended on saying this part, but I, I feel like I need to because every so often, like whenever some may be a little older, and they may they may opt not to go get married because there's a financial piece. Not P E A. C-E, Dave Ramsey, financial peace. There may be a financial P-I-E-C-E where it's like, well, we're just going to do this because if we get married, there's all sorts of tax implications, da 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 Be not dismayed, whatever be time. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. If you're allowing another factor that's materialist to affect the right thing to do spiritually, then what you're saying is, God, I don't, I, you haven't thought through all the contingencies when you told me to do this. Let's think through everything that He has called us to do. But we, we have all sorts of people telling us all sorts of things that this doesn't have to, you don't have to do this. You know, I don't want to do that. You don't, you, when God calls us to do something, we've got to trust Him to to help us follow through on all of it. So, whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. There's more that can be said in regards to uh, marriage and divorce, and um, I'll just say this part as as we do number three. Christians must not only teach Christ's truth but model it. Okay. So that's where he's talking about here that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We've also got to realize a a, a number of things here. And I don't want to leave this because some of you who know your Bible, you're like, yeah, but wait a minute, yeah, but wait a minute, yeah, but wait a minute. There's a parallel passage that's found in Matthew 5, 31 and 32 Which says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That sounds familiar, right? Just talked about it not too long ago. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife. And then there's the exception clause that Jesus gives us. Not Matt Perry. Not the culture. Not mom and dad. Jesus. Who divorces his wife on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In other words, I grew up in a church where if you were divorced, even before you were a Christian, or no matter what the rationale for it, they had a harsher standard than what Jesus has here. Jesus says that these folks have broken a covenant by joining with another, sexually. Sexually. We don't have time to cover all of that. But what I want to say to you is this. The culture is running away from God's standard. We've got to make sure that the churches aren't either. And we could be running further away from it by being stricter than what the Bible is saying. Whereas the culture is not wanting to be strict at all. We've all got to be careful to take what Jesus is saying here Face value. What's he telling us? And so what he's telling all of us is that we make by taking his word. Part of, the, part of the piece of taking his word is recognizing that we are all sinners and we've all gone away from it at some point. And you may be like, oh man. But he came to rescue us from all of that sin and to put us by the holy spirit on the path that he has for us and what's that path that path is taking jesus at his word not adding to it not taking away from it but looking at what he's saying and trusting him with everything that comes he that knows the right thing to do and yet does not do it to him it is sin james says So let's look at what Jesus is telling us about the right thing to do. Let me close with what Martin Luther King Jr. said back in 1962. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. He's right. We Right here, in all churches, in our, in our city, and I'd say in our nation, in our world, we're the last bastion in our culture that is telling the world, this is God's way. Please don't go this way. This is God's way. And Christ will come and rescue you, and you will see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of his way if you'll only confess and repent of your sin. Yeah, but what's the culture going to say? Who cares? What's Jesus going to say? Because he's the one that we're ultimately going to have to stand before. There was no king in the land. And everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. But not for us. There is a king in the land. His name is Jesus Christ. So, let's do what's right in his eyes, shall we? Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say. So much, Father, to to talk about. And every time I step up here, Lord, I, I beg you to lead me. And I pray, Father, that as we move forward with what kind of heritage we're leaving, may it be a heritage that is pleasing in your sight. May it be a heritage where we are saying, Jesus, you are more than enough. That your word is sufficient and authoritative for us. That your church is the conscience of the nation. That your son is the savior of the world. That your holy spirit is the one who seals our hearts toward you. That we are adopted. We are your children. We are chosen. We are united in you. We have been raised from the dead. Father, thank you that you have done all of this on our behalf. I sense, Lord, that there may be some here who need to repent, who need to confess that they're not doing things your way, and they need to repent and need to trust you with your way. Trust in the Lord, your word has said, with all our hearts, and lean not on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him. And he will direct our paths. Make them straight. Not meandering, but straight toward you. Father, this is not the time for us to play games. You'll have none of it. Help us, Father, to move forward in your way. Because there is a king in the land. Thank you, King Jesus. May we make much of you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We sing a song.